Welcome to the Performance Health Podcast. My name is Tim Karen. Today we have Dave Scholes and talking about communication. When I recorded this, Dave is actually the head strength conditioning coach at Texas Tech. He is no longer with them. He is with Louisiana Tech now. This was an amazing conversation. If you know anything about coaching, you know that we have to be expert communicators. Dave and his resume and his experiences is a testament to that. I love Dave. I think Dave is one of the best strength coaches I've ever met. He is this amazingly smart person that can have an incredible level of performance within his weight rooms. It is a testament to his ability to not only program, but convey all of his ideas and thoughts into a really deliverable product for his athletes. This was a really fun conversation. I really think Dave is an amazing resource. He is someone I constantly learn from, and I know you guys are going to enjoy this. If you guys are interested in learning more about all of the other modules we have, along with getting the written, all the other content we have on there from webinars to debates and lectures I've had, head over to phpodcast.com and become a member. This is an advanced curriculum for any strength conditioning coach out there that is looking to level up and become the best version of themselves. phpodcast.com, an advanced curriculum for strength conditioning coaches. Without further ado, here's Dave Schultz. All right. Hey, everybody. How you doing? We got Dave Scholes today from Texas Tech. Good friend and really fired up to have him on. Dave, why don't you take a second and introduce yourself and go over all the cool things that you do? First of all, thanks for uh, having me. Great relationship now that goes back about six years. It's the first time we took a course together. Yes, I'm the head football strength coach for Texas Tech. Um, I was at Utah State in similar role for six years prior to that. I was assistant strength and conditioning and nutrition for the San Francisco 49ers in 11 and 12. Started back in 2006 as an intern for Joe Ken at Arizona State. And it's hard to believe it's been uh, 14 years now. So long time. It is amazing when you actually start to like reflect and when you do podcasts and you get these questions like, hey, tell us about your background. And like, holy shit, I've been doing this for a long time. So hey, give me some uh, insight on some things that you're reading or researching or anything that you feel like would be, you know, just cool to share that you just really get you going right now. Yeah, the, the number one thing right now is just rethinking the role of performance coach in America, uh, American football and what our job really should be uh, or what I believe it should evolve into. Just what's the role of the weight room? What's the role of movement? What's the role of technical and tactical integration and how we can really try to get a, a, a leg up and kind of the bigger overall picture. You know, I think the real future is for what is considered now the present day strength coach. I think the real future is how do we develop more than just physical quality basically. So I'm doing a lot of work on that right now. When you're talking about just purely physical quality, I mean, sprint mechanics is something I'm constantly looking at because it is the foundation of what is required in order to play football. If you don't run well, it's almost impossible to be good at football. And then really the biomechanics of the lower leg and foot, because it's such a problem, it's screwed up on everybody. So how to fix it. And then I would, I would say the last thing, if you're talking about the weight room is just taking another look at like the force velocity curve and how you can manipulate that to get bigger and get stronger. Cause I think 
if you start separating them, especially the more advanced guys get there, it's, it can be two different things. So that's what I'm looking at right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, to be honest, like none of those are easy topics to dissect no. and break down, um, which the first part I think would be a really good segue into the communication, but just to chime in on the foot, like, man, like it is an endless abyss of things that you need to like recall and like know and understand and function. Like, I mean, there's 52 bones down there. Like it's, it's pretty nuts and you could yeah. have a you could spend a lifetime just trying to memorize the bones and let alone the actual origins insertions the actions the triplanar function like the mid-tarsal joint all the way down to the phalanges like it's just nuts how in depth that area really is and when you see a person that really understands the foot ankle complex and gait and whole function how it interacts with the ground like like it's it's intimidating, you know, yeah. like, holy crap. Well, and then especially when you talk about what needs to get done in order to really make any type of changes, it takes a long time and it takes a lot of effort. And it, it, it's, it's not something that any therapist is going to be able to tackle on his own without really good compliance by the client. It just needs a lot of inputs, you know, and there's just, there's no other way around it, you know, but the payoff is, is if you do get it fixed, man, it, it fixes what you would consider to be a lot of problems all the way up. So yeah, that it's pretty interesting for sure. Yeah. And then the last part, like just looking at speed, like, I think it's, I think it's also too one of those ones where you're like, how much people like it just, just the payoff is so great, right? Like you can, if you have the ability to make someone run with better mechanics they're going to be more resilient and then if you have someone to run with better mechanics and greater force velocity like at the right times right knowing when to sequence between acceleration and top end speed or all these other variables to go into it like you can have tremendous and profound impact on the athletes that you're working with and again like another subject area that like has so much nuance and so many areas that you can just dive into like you could spend an entire day just on start like or months on start but you can yeah. spend entire months on just acceleration like or drill work or whatever else man it's it's an amazing topic yeah it is and and then you start talking about too right again how do i make a guy less injured or you know what i mean how do i bring him back faster if the worst happens you know so to me the sprint mechanic conversation kind of is all encompassing with that lot to unpack there yeah yeah it really is uh, i love the word i love the term unpack too i think it's such a great thing someone said it to me the other day and i think i've been using it religiously so it's funny you say that so like <laughs> even if it's something not complex i'm like man a lot to unpack there like no it's not like um all right so you mentioned something in the beginning of the stuff that you're currently investing your time into and looking at like what is the impact the overall impact as an snc coach a performance coach in this athletic world or just in general. Right. And, you know, I think it's a perfect segue to go over, you know, communication in this example, right. Where if you can't communicate, you can't lead or you can't effectively change the strategy of something. So, you know, let's just go use that as the thought experiment, or at least as kind of a guiding light here. It's like, Hey, we want to change, or maybe you want to look at revisit the idea of what is the role of SNC or performance coach. And then how are we going to guide that through communication? So in your mind, how would you best explain, hey, how do we communicate or what is communication to a young coach or your staff? Well, it, the, the biggest thing is it, to understand about communicating is it's an essential skill set. If you don't have clear verbal and nonverbal conveyance of your thoughts and your ideas or what the task is, I mean, you could put whatever you want on paper or 
in a plan or what it, it will not matter if you cannot convey it. And it's something that I'm constantly trying to develop, even with the guys on my staff, because I want all of them to eventually be in the job that is the end game for them, which for most of them is the job that I currently have. And I just tell them all the time, I'm like, look, like you can be as smart as you want, but if you cannot command the room, if you cannot be a leader of men, it does not matter because it will come off as uh, unorganized. It will come off as fake. I mean, whatever word you want to use. Right. So just talking about it being like, Hey, look, like you need to get up, you need to present, you need to talk in front of people. I'm going to give you the skill. You're going to explain what we're doing today with skill. You're going to do that with the bigs. I mean, whatever, whatever the situation is, is constantly trying to develop that because fear of public speaking, or I don't like talking in front of people or any of those kind of things. It's not, it's not an acceptable answer for what, I do and what you do and what you've done previously. And I think we both know that. So, and, and not to go into a direction potentially we don't really need to go into, but you know, you look at some of the people who are in the lead in our industry, like, and you could just make that assumption off of financial, like wealth, right? They make the most money. So therefore we can create some sort of hierarchical structure based off the perceived value they bring. Some of those guys are probably just the most effective communicators. You know, and the difference is not what they know. Like I could probably go to their staff and they probably know more about the nuance in specific areas of nutrition or movement or performance or whatever. But they're the best at conveying that overall philosophy to the players and to the staff. And that in a sense is like the great divide, right? Like it's we can't have this, you can't get an associate AD title or have complete autonomy and all performance for football for Texas Tech or whatever school you're working at if you can't communicate to not only your players, your coaches, but administration. And that, in a sense, is like, I think it garners envy. I think that garners like animosity. And I think it looks at like those guys in a negative light, but they're just profound at looking at people and profound at looking at the situation and know how to communicate something simply, succinctly, and effectively whether it's tone or animated movements or whatever, but like, you know, that process. And I felt on the other side of it too, is like, I'd rather be a really knowledgeable coach than a person that's just enthusiastic and entertainment coach. Right. And I yes. think it's like stigmatism that goes with that, but 100%. I get the jobs and I don't. So who wins, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, and I think that in part too, is like, we want to raise the level of the entire profession, which I think is important. I don't think anyone's doing this for, you know, just hundred percent selfish reasons. We all want like, to be compensated and things like that. But as a whole, like we want to bring everything up collectively, but if you don't get the job because you can't communicate who's really winning, you know, it's a two, it's a two part process because I think one of the things that outside of wanting to constantly improve our education, that has kind of drawn you and I together is we're both adamant that we didn't want to be known as, you know, cartoon characters as strength coaches. Right. I mean, we, we definitely have had that in common, but the ability to present and, and command an audience, I mean, you know, before we got on the podcast, we were reminiscing about continuing education. And one of the things is all the courses that we've ever taken, those people are all good communicators. You know what I mean? And consequently, I can remember times where I've sat and I'm like, man, I did a lot of research on this guy or this girl they seem very, very smart. I've read a ton of their books or their articles or whatever, but when I've gone to take a course, you're disappointed and you're just like, yeah, they get freaked out talking in front of people. So they, 
they're not very good at presenting and it makes all the difference. Which if you really, I mean, one of the guys that we really admire and really attach ourselves to is Charles Poliquin, obviously. Yeah. And if you really like research him as a person, right? Like, um, oh. and he says it several times over, he's like, I'm just the best at taking ideas and making it into like my system. You know, like I don't have an original idea and I'll tell you that, but where he's really good at, and this is like the thing, it's, it's not like a great like public speaker, but what he says is very memorable and it's very sticky. And yeah. I, think it's, I think that's like what I wanted to model myself off of. It's like, I don't need to be overly loud or I don't want to be overly enthusiastic. I just need to be memorable. Yeah. And like that process, like I think you leave your Charles Pollock when you're just thinking, rattling through, like whether it's just saying something absolute or just over the top, like you need to have 11.8% of your external rotation to your biochromial bench or, yeah. you, you know, like if you're right. above 8% body fat, you're fat, like it just stuff like that. Like it just, he mastered that art of saying sticky comments that just stick with you. Right. And like, we can recite it back. Like all of us that ever went to a PICP or a biosignature and like imagine that process for when we go to administrative, right. And you get that one shot, like you're sitting around at this round table with the other ADs and they go, one question to you, like how, how's the morale of a student athlete? And you say something that that whole room just pauses and reflects and goes, holy crap, that guy's locked in. And like, that's yeah. what we're looking for here, which imagine Charles in that role or imagine him in that role talking to your head coach and like saying, we need to do this and we need to do it now. And he walks away like, okay, that's what we have to do. And right. you know, that process too is, is really important. Um, any comments on like your experience with Charles or anyone else that you thought was like a really, you don't need to name names, but like, like things that you pulled from some of those seminars that you're like, that was what I want to talk, what sound like when I hear other people hear me talk. Yeah. The, the guy that's a really good presenter that I'm, I saw him last year and because it, I guess you could research because if there's a subset of health, nutrition, whatever, but doesn't really cross over into what we do in performance is cardiology. So I tend to read a lot of books on cardiology or the vascular system. And one guy I love hearing present is Mark Houston. Mark is the president of the Hypertensive Institute at uh, St. Thomas Hospital in Vanderbilt. And he does a lot of work now with Biotics Research, which is a very well-respected supplement company. And so last year, their national conference was in Houston. So I got a chance to go this year. I won't be able to make it because it's in November in, in Charlotte. But I asked Charles one time I said is it fair to say that Mark knows more about his field than anybody you have ever spoken to ever and I barely got the words out of my mouth before he said yes so I mean the knowledge part of what you're saying like being a master of what you're saying is is critically important but Mark is just the way that he's able to kind of convey some very very complex topics I mean you're talking about vascular system you're talking about like fluid dynamics i mean there's just so i mean it, it is crazy how complicated it really really is and mark is able to make a room of 200 people and it seemed like oh, okay i just need to do that and just get it very very down very to the bare bones basics you know so i really enjoy hearing mark speak and you look at the medical industry specifically something like cardio you know just cardiology and looking at that like I mean, this is like uh, roots, right? Like if you ever read stuff by like Poland or Gary Tops, like talking about like the origins of like Ansel Keys all the way on and like Eisenhower made a big initiative to like changing like the focus on heart disease and obviously like huge manifestations for, you know, the food and agricultural industry, but the American Heart Association and 
all these other entities that have a lot of money vested into it creates a lot of dogma and takes a lot of like, you know, rigidity. And yeah. I have a guy like that come in and say like, no, it's this or no, our research has something definitive is one thing. But then the other side of it is getting them to walk away there collectively with how entrenched they are. Right. Like, and how just their hedgehogs with what they do. Like, nope, it's this process every single time. Like we're going to do this vascular surgery or we're going to do this anti-sperostatin or we're going to do this or whatever. Like, and it's just the same dogmatic approach where you have a guy like that who's, no, I've done the research. And not only do I have done the research, I've practically applied it. And not only have I practically applied it, I can convince you that what you've been doing is wrong. And here's why. Right. And that, in a sense, is like what we have to do in a lot of ways with our industry all the time, right? Like, you know, okay, I had this previous strength coach and he just made everyone do cleans every day. Yeah. Like, okay. Or I had this coach and he just did mat drills all year. I loved it. It was great. We won 11 games. How can you tell me I was wrong? And yeah. they believe this in their head, right? Like that's not performance training. That's just making people tired. Right. And, and he's not going to be convinced easily, right? And you have to effectively communicate to that guy. So I guess like, I guess it's this like other side of this, you know, a coin of like applying Mark Houston, who, you know, honestly, is like the best kept secret, like in performance training, right? Like if you can learn the nuances of that, like you probably get a lot further ahead faster. But the other side of it is how do we take that message and then take, you know, this almost like hedgehog like personality type of football coaches and effectively communicate to them without feeling like you're telling them they're less than or wrong or like tell them like, Hey, I granted, I know you've had success doing it this way with this strength and press and C coach, but in this situation, in this context, we need to do it this way. How do you effectively one interpret that? And then two, like process that information and be able to communicate to that person. Well, I think when you're trying to maybe change some stigma or move anything into a different direction is you have to be able to show that it has had some results, right? So I can only speak for myself, but I'm basically taking my brain back now to 2013 when I first started working with Matt Wells, who's my, been my boss for the last seven, eight years now. And I mean, some of the stuff that I came in talking about was definitely considered off the cuff at the time about hey, how we're going to do certain things with nutrition or running progression, high-low models, like stuff like that, right? But I had to show that it had some results. Well, that part was fairly easy for me because of where I was coming from at the time, right? I mean, I was coming from a team that just got done playing in the Super Bowl, right? So he's like, is this the kind of stuff you're doing with the 49ers? I said, yeah, that's, that's exactly what we're doing. Said, oh, okay. You know, so that makes it simple. But if you don't, if you don't have that, you need to make sure that if you're going to change some ideas that you have some results backed up, right? So like, I was on a call the other day and it was an article that was coming out about Jordan Brooks and Jordan Love because, you know, we had Jordan Love at Utah State and Jordan Brooks and they got picked in the first round back to back. And, you know, some of their before and after pictures and how we trained them and things like that. And it was just like the guy was asking me about how we do nutrition and how we get to apply it and how we get kids to comply. And here's a Charles quote right here is people improve what you measure. Right. So I was talking to him about why we use the skinfold system because we can take it every week. It's very, very measurable and you can get your clientele base to very easily right away say, Oh, okay. If I want this to improve, this is what I need to do. And it gives you a map, right. About how you should advise them. And, and yeah, it does get results because 
look, even at the end of the day, if the two sites don't correspond to whatever they're supposed to correspond to, we get our clientele base to sit there and be like, hey, look, bottom line is you need to eat less crap. I got it. Okay. And I'm going to measure you again on Monday. I got it. So right away, you're going to start getting some results and whether it works because you store fat here or here or whether it works because they eat less crap and they're starting to listen to what you're saying. I mean, you can't argue with the results, right? Uh, you know what I think is interesting? And I think you could probably relate to this because, and maybe I'm, I'm assuming in this, but you know, when you took over at Utah State and let's say myself with the Army, right? Like we inherited SNC programs with you know, younger coaches, but coaches that were heavily influenced by the people that they work for, right? So you're always getting the version of themselves that they had success with with someone else. They didn't get that head job by not being successful beforehand. So with that comes in is this like area that they feel really confident on, right? So at Army, it was like we had to do what Paul Johnson did for 30 years prior to that with mat drills and then 300-yard shovels. Both of those ones, I knew they were coming in because I worked with Coach Munkin at Georgia Tech. But with you guys and Coach Wells and then looking at like, you know, the previous success at Utah State and then then just the whole Anderson tree going through to like Wisconsin and Oregon State. But like, I'm sure there's probably parallels to us running aggressive mat drills in February uh, that is so far away, not really specific to anything other than just making the guys tired and the coaches are pissed off from coming off recruiting for, you know, six weeks and then want to just take it out on the players before we go to spring practice and get their legs back. Um, that fourth quarter warrior or the fourth quarter, like four quarters program you had there, like, I'm sure there's some stuff that was like, hey, this is locked in. And there's some stuff that like I can mold here a little bit more to meet what I'm thinking about performance model. And I think that part, too, is like, you know, and I want to go into this as a question here. So, like, it's not compromising. It's finding middle ground. And how yeah. do you effectively evaluate, like, all right, I can't get rid of mat drills, but I can somehow, like, get rid of 300-yard shells in the summer if I just explain it properly. How do you yeah. read that? And how do you, like, zero in on that? And what can I change most effectively? Well, it, it's it's just – Again, if I can sit there and I can take the look of demands of playing football and I can have it organized and I can have it done in a manner where it's going to accentuate the energy system we want, and then I convey that to our football coaches, they see that, they come out maybe right away and they're a little bit skeptical, but then when they see the results, right, like then they just start to buy in. Because what I'm saying in a meeting will make sense and they'll be like, okay, this is different, but let's go give it a run. But then the results for them is when they put the tape on, right? And so like it, it almost works out perfectly too from a standpoint of where I work because with our offensive system, we try to snap the ball faster than anybody in America, right? And it was kind of funny how – the way we were conditioning our players, it was, I definitely needed to rethink some things because I wanted to put more of a thinking or technical and tactical component to how we conditioned, because I knew that part of us being effective with this new offensive system, and then subsequently our defensive guys being able to play against something that fast would require them to really think within our schemes when they were tired. So I had to come up with a way to, do that and then once I did it we put it in place you saw improvements but then the real improvements from year one to year two 2018 we we're second highest scoring team in the country and now that we've done that and it coaches have seen that it works it's like once it works like they're bought in 
you know? So it's just, you have to be sure that you can measure it and you have to be sure that you can deliver some results. And then once you got them, you got them, you know, they don't really think twice about questioning what we're doing anymore. So it's good. You know, and going in potentially the other direction, because I can only imagine, you know, potentially a player who maybe played up-tempo offense in high school or, you know, that first year they really struggled to like, they were tapping their head every single, every single third play to get out of the game and they want to like get as many reps as they can. And then let's say you're doing a really technical like sprint training session for, and for the record, like I always hate that feeling if it wasn't hard enough, quote unquote, because it's like, just give me a day or give me two days and your nervous system's going to be completely shot if we do this right. right. Like, right. but that initial like response to that, knowing the, the ever looming, like we're going to do 170 snaps in a six period portion of practice. Like I'm not getting effectively ready, just doing a sprint every 300 seconds. Like how do you convey that? And like just instill patience and diligence into your athletes of like, you know, just organically knowing that we need to get in physical shape here. Yes. Fitness is important, but we need to improve these qualities first. It's one of those things where that's where, again, more of your understanding of the science in conjunction with communicating it is going to serve you well. Right. So you're always talking to your players and your coaching staff about, and again, I'll, I'll steal from Dan Paff here is how we adjust and move menu items up and down. So it's not that one thing is ever going to completely go away. It's just maybe not the top priority right now. So when you start off early off season in a typical year, obviously this what's coming up for us is going to be a little bit different, but in a typical year, you're explaining to them, Hey, we're always keeping our ability to develop aerobic capacity there, right. Through the tempo stuff that we do, but we need to take time to make sure that we make our top end better. And the only way to do that is to rest in between sets, you know, and I've always found the easiest way that people can, compartmentalize that message is through the old Dave Tate, how to improve 225 conversation on the bench press for whatever reason that seems to resonate. So when I'm saying it, I'm like, look, is somebody that bench presses 405 going to do more reps at 225 than someone that benches 300? Yes. Okay. Well, we're doing the same thing here with your sprint work. If we can get you to run faster when you do get fatigue or when fatigue does set in your fatigue faster will be faster than their fatigue faster and then right away for whatever reason that i found that that explanation resonates right off the top of people right out of the gate they can see things that way using a weight room example and then obviously as the off season progresses right you move into more your capacity work where obviously you need to get into work rest ratios and things like that and then it just follows up with are they ready day one of practice again another key explanation communicating day one of practice, not day one of game, day one of practice. And then you got to have a good practice plan there. You know, and I've gotten our coaching staff to understand that point very, very uh, clearly. And, you know, then they just got to get some results on game day now, which we got to do a little better job of results on game day here at Tech, but we've had good results on game day at Utah State previously. So you mentioned the Dave Tate 225, comparatively speaking, off of yeah. as your reserve. And you know, I would say that's an example of a metaphor, you know, yeah. and one of the things that we talked about in the modules was like analogies or comparable things or metaphors is like anecdotal stories, so to speak of like things that like they can relate to, you know, and I'm one thing you learn as a coach, like geographically or like age, like 
metaphors and analogies have to adjust and mold to the environment that you're at, right? So the metaphors and analogies I use to explain something here with a 45-year-old guy with two kids working a 9-to-5 job is a lot different than I did with the 18-year-old kid from inner city Los Angeles. You know, that process of like the same thing with coaches, right? Like you're communicating to that coach through metaphors and analogies or stories to help that person understand and relate to what you're trying to convey. Do you have any you know, anything in like, you know, you have, you mentioned a bunch already in terms of really cool metaphors or analogies or even stories like to go through of like how we're going to be memorable here. But, you know, do you have anything of like, man, Hey, like this is where I want you to use an analogy or anything I want you to use a metaphor, like in sprint mechanics or Olympic lifting or just training in general? You know, we use them quite a bit with just how to explain like execution of certain lifts, right? Like, you know, like chin-ups, you want to pretend like you're trying to elbow somebody from behind, right? Like that type of deal. Um, certainly with all of the FRC work, right? Like they tend to just kind of spew out, right? Like when you're doing the pails and rails stuff that we teach, Hey, like I want you to drive your foot through this part. I want you to drive your knee through here. I want you to pretend like you have a golf ball here on your back before you move this. And then literally we start when you do the FRC system or the FRS system, right? Like you're, you literally start putting blocks and golf balls and yoga blocks and foam rollers to actually create those things. Right. So sometimes they're actually really there, but metaphors like that can be very, very powerful. But I think you do need to be careful that sometimes that you don't speak in, in absolutes. Right. Because like I can think of times where I've been either training or certainly in my powerlifting career where it was like, Hey, I want you to try and take this and stretch to this point. And then all of a sudden here comes someone's pec rips off. Right. So you have to be careful that you don't, you don't over speak sometimes. Right. Like speaking in absolutes, like you used the example a while back of talking to administrators or whatever, you have to be very careful speaking in absolutes. You have to be really careful about how you use it. Like I'm doing a zoom clinic tonight for high school coaches in Texas as part of a series that coach Wells was putting on and you just want to be really careful about using absolutes when you speak because somebody will take it and you, when as a person that maybe has more experience in the field, you'll understand like, well, obviously you're not going to do that. But when you speak in absolutes, somebody may have gotten the message there. So you have to be careful that way. I think. Which I think is the, you know, I think one of the bigger issues with sports science and analytics now is you give that information just at like surface level, like on one small snapshot and someone so easily like can interpret that information in the way that you didn't intend or want. And, you know, we really struggle with like, you know, say you have someone who's losing weight, right? Like let's say you have that weight loss guy, he's 375 and you want to get down to 335 and then you give the body weights to that coach, right? And like let's just say like you had to get body weights after like a workout session because he didn't get it in time, right? The whole thing, right? We, we already handled it accountability wise, but he drank a bunch of water during that session and he was actually one pound heavier and you give that information to the coach and he's like, what the fuck are you doing? Or what, like, I'm going to motherfuck this guy. Like, whoa, whoa, hold on. We already took care of it. Like, but that is easy. Like you just leave it on his desk or like, you know, I've seen the other example of like showing GPS reports and like, you know, he has a position group, like let's say he's a running backs coach and like the, third string guy like 
got zero like high intensity sprints and he's like this guy's not working like we didn't give him any reps like like they don't really look at the full picture and like it just one snapshot and i think that's a really good example of like absolutes that quite frankly could be dangerous but then like you said you know like looking at sport coaches or administrators who aren't as experienced with what we do like they're going to gravitate to the the thing that seems most concrete right and the more confident you are you say that like we don't have our guys cleaning 300 pounds. We fail. They're going to hold you to that. Yeah. So you have to be very careful as opposed to like, we just improve everyone's clean max, like by 30% relative right. to when we started because we're awful technique wise, you know, but you know, to that point, like, you know, let's go through, like, let's say your style, let's say that like you've developed a style and a communication you know, flow that you feel really good about, you know, yeah. are there areas that you feel like, like you still need to work on or you still struggle with and that like, oh man, like I wish I can improve upon this area. Yeah. Just making a, making a snap decision when I'm frustrated, usually something comes out of my mouth or some action follows it up when, uh, that would have been better if I just would have taken a deep breath or walked back a second and said, okay, let's, let's be careful about what we do or what we say here. And that's, I mean, that's been a problem like my entire life. And it actually is pretty interesting because we just did a, kind of a personality profile with our whole football staff. And one of the things that came out based on my answers to the test was when you get frustrated, your, your backup leadership style is what's called dictatorial or steamroller. So when you get frustrated, you're just going to start kicking down doors. You're going to say, I'm in charge now, and this is what we're doing. And a lot of times that uh, that has a chance to blow up in your face, I think, as opposed to just being like, all right, let's make sure we don't say anything. Let's give it five minutes. So there, there's one phrase that has been, and this is from this is from Nick Mitchell, that I've really tried to, uh, the old owner of Ultimate Performance, that I've really tried to kind of always keep in my brain is, if it doesn't matter in five years, don't worry about it. Don't let it get you bent out of shape. So I've really tried to always keep that at the forefront of my brain, right? Like if something happened or a kid does something or somebody on your staff screws something up, it'd be like, look, is this a five-year mistake? No. Okay. Well, take a deep breath in before you address it. And then from there, let's just try to find the solution, right the wrong, and then let's move on. I, I can extremely relate to you on that one. Yeah. I've always associated with, like, it's actually a strength and sometimes, you know, too, where it's like you develop a skill set. Like, I'm really good in these, like, areas. So I've demonstrated that, right? Like, nutrition-wise, like, right? Like, you bequeath that responsibility to one of your staff members, and you've done it at such a high level for so long, and it's not immediate the way you want it based off your previous experience. But yeah. then that process of like flashback to 10 years before of you starting off with this, like, you know, you're with the 49ers working with Uwe and like you forgot to put out this for that one guy or like, oh crap, like this guy didn't make his weight. Like I didn't communicate this. And like that, that process of reflection and like looking back at like what I was when that guy's doing this currently, like that's difficult, like immediately because you know you can do it better right now and the patience to yeah wait for that person to do it. Like I struggle with that a lot too. Uh, and yeah. But also, too, it's a strength, right? Like, I know that I can do it really well, and I know that I can lead from by example. And no one's going to, quote, unquote, outwork, outwork me or yourself. So it's like, right. you know, like in a lot of ways, people are like, well, he's just doing his part. Like, he's making sure it's getting done. Um, well, and it's, it's a fine line, too, right? Because I think one of the things that 
and you've probably you I have no doubt that you experienced it doing head strength coach college and I have no doubt you experienced it as business owner running a gym right now is the people that work for you it doesn't matter it does not matter they will not have the same urgency level as you because they just have not sat in that spot where it's like, look, this is on you. You know what I mean? And I've had these conversations with Matt coach Wells many times, right? Like it, I refuse to believe that I have the same care factor as him. I just, I don't even think that it's humanly possible because it's not my name in the paper. You know what I mean? It's not me all over Twitter as, if this doesn't work as the worst coach in Texas tech history. Right. So it's like, you have to be respectful of that part of it too. Right. It's just realizing that when you're the person in charge, like it's on you and your name is all over it. I mean, it was funny because Matt and I had a conversation a couple months ago that I remember where I can't remember why we got into it. We were talking about being assistants or, you know, how much things we would have done differently as assistants. Right. And so it's one of those things where it's just like, yeah, because the reason you'll do it differently is because you know what it's like to sit in the big chair now, you know? And so getting your staff to understand that part of it too, is just like, look, you've got to have that same level of urgency that I have because I'm responsible for 120 kids. I'm responsible to 30 full-time coaches, you know, in much in the same way that you're responsible to, keep the doors open of your gym. And if one person has a bad experience, they're going to tell everybody, Hey, don't go to back to Allegiant. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it kind of gets me into my, like my next thought here. Uh, Cause you know, you work, you mentioned you interned at Arizona state under Joe Ken. And yeah. I think I know about a million people who've done that over the past yeah. you know 20 years. And sure. you know, what you notice Flashback, a good friend actually had him as an athlete for a semester at um, Springfield College, Adam Fight. And uh, and I remember like the process too. It was like, I'm waiting because at Springfield College, you go do your internship, like you do a, a practical. So you got to go do an internship. And right. I'm like, I want to see how this goes because I would be interested in interning for Joe Ken. It seems like he's got some profound level of stuff. And and he's giving me like feedback, like, right? Like, oh man, it's great. Joe was like, really, like, you know, gave me the whole thing, he invited him over to his house, we deadlifted, we ate dinner. And then the next day, he's like, you're going to, clean out this whole entire shed and he's like this whole semester was just this roller coaster right and then yeah. you know he's riding the wave and like at the end he actually was fortunate enough to get actually offered a job when he went to louisville you know and right. you know so he did something right but you know that process of like you know talking to some other people like oh who's worked directly for him and if you communicate with oe like you better like be on your you know p's and q's like this guy's gonna yeah. ask you some hard questions and look you right in the eyes and then I see some other people out there like who are, I think, really good coaches and, you know, their experience is there, like, and how he effectively communicates to like his top assistant, to his mid-level or his entry-level assistant, to his interns. Like, do you have a strategy like that with the people that you do, or do you just do that intuitively or organically, or is it something that you actually try to script out? Yeah, no, I, I think it's pretty organic, but again, it's something where I, I try to, I mean, you almost have to, right? You you have to learn how to delegate stuff to the guys on your staff. Just number one, because you hired them so they're capable, right? I mean, I have very high level of trust in all the guys that work for me. And then number two, it's something that they need to develop. And then number three, there's a time component too, right? Like, I mean, the amount of 
people that I need to communicate with. Right. And you just have to, you have to prioritize, right. And in our program, like the number one, most important thing, hands down every single day is the players that are currently inside the building. Right. And so when you're doing the the amount of stuff that I would say that we try to get done on a day in day out basis, whether it's the training or the nutrition or recovery modalities or whatever, right. Like there's only so many hours in the day and there's only so many hours that, that you're going to have them. Right. So it's like, I can't sit here and delegate to the two interns we have like, Hey, this is how I want the weight room set up. Right. Like the guys on my staff, they know that, you know? So it's just, you, you, you have to, you have to understand like it's, if you're prioritizing time, the other guys on the staff are going to have to take hold and and be able to do that. But I would say it's, it's pretty organic. You know what I mean? My communication style is, similar in some ways to, to Joe and to Mark and to Evan Simon and other people I've worked for, but it's different in some ways too. Everything here, which is like one, I just want to say thank you for just the transparency and, you know, just giving the nuance of like what, how you effectively communicate. And I, I think it takes a lot of like, you know, it's honestly for lack of a better word, courage of to be able to like, Hey, this is me and this is who I am. So thank you for that. Uh, you know, a lot of this stuff, I think we learned through trial and error as well as like following like examples or people that we admire, uh, which I think were the product of our environment and the product of the people that we associate with or the people that we aspire to be. So really cool on that. And, you know, if anything, man, you got a ton of places to kind of like cite and go into and like, you know, maybe look at it with a different lens. Um, so if someone ever does come and like reaches out to you, like, you know, now they can see the the wheels turning of how you're communicating. Um, but two, like the value of time, uh, just, you know, all that stuff, like the more effective you are communicating, the the more efficient you are and the less you have to repeat something, right? Like you realize really quickly when you go through a workout and the intricacies of that workout and then the guys go to the rack and they say, the first question is, which one is this one? Or yeah. snatch overhead? Like, yeah. and then you go, you get one immediately frustrated because you're like, you didn't listen. But two, like I started the process of like, maybe I'm not effectively like conveying that information to this effectively. And then like, I think you and I would both agree, like, the level of nuance in our programming is it, it may be like simple from like a structural standpoint and maybe like six exercises, but yeah. my God, the detail and the complexity within that is profound, right? Like, you know, you're doing a, a six, four XO tempo. Like that takes a lot of like moving parts. So your coaches need to understand that your players need to understand that it doesn't happen by accident. And it's, it's one thing that like I could give to any young coach who would be listening to this. I, I can remember one of the very first workouts I was ever in charge of. So this is a softball workout at Utah state and Kurt Schmidt, who's the head strength coach for UCF football and has been a great mentor to me. He was the assistant at Utah state at the time. And so I, you know, I write the workout, explain it. Okay. We're done with the pre-work, bring everybody up. Okay, here we go. We're getting ready. Set one. And set one, set two, as we're going through rotation, right? It it looks like an unmitigated disaster, right? I get frustrated, blah, blah, blah. Take the girls. We finally make it through the workout. I come back in the office. I'm all frustrated, right? And Kurt is a very, very plain speaking guy. And Kurt just stops after I was done throwing a conniption fit. And Kurt goes, hey, when everybody screws it up, it's not the kids. It was the coach. And I I never forgot that, right? So it's like, it's something that I constantly have to teach even the people on my staff or, you know, at Utah State, right? You get 
one top assistant, you're going to have one very entry level position, and then you're going to have GA. So like you're in charge of a lot. And it's just the same thing. Like, look, if it starts off as an unmitigated disaster, you explained it bad, number one, as the coach. And then number two, just blow your whistle, stop, bring everybody back up, and then try again. You know what I mean? So it's it's, it's things like that when just when you're trying to get a point across, whether it's a session or whether it's business. I mean, you, you need to remember that if everyone is screwing it up, it isn't everyone, it's you. You know what I think is really fascinating on that last story relative to the other like things that you've discussed is – I think your effectiveness as a communicator comes from your effectiveness as a listener. And it seems like you're really good at filtering and taking in information and then making it permanent, right? Like the fact that, how long ago did that story occur? Like 12 years ago? Uh, That would have been 2007. (laughs) So 13 years ago, like, and you can just recite it from memory. Right. And, and one, it was a very emotional moment. So you're hyper aware but, you know, like the things that you just discussed and recited from memory and you can tell the date, like, I, I think that in a sense is like what I'm gathering right now from your effectiveness as a communicator is you are a equally, if not better listener, and you're really conscious and really aware of your surroundings and your situations. And I think you really take that personally and like really like build upon that, which is a profound skill. Like, I don't think a lot of people do that really well, um, which is- Well, my wife is going to hear this part of this podcast, Tim, so- Oh no. Home doesn't count. Home doesn't count. Like my wife thinks I'm the worst listener. So, um, but okay. So just want to take this, uh, take this down and just kind of walk away with something like, you know, in regards to communication, you know, amongst all the other stuff that we talked about, like if you were going to go to that person, like, like as Charles would say, like, give me 10 things you learn. Let's just go over like one thing that they should know that like, Hey, above all else, just do this. Yeah, I think the above all else with communication, it just, it needs to be clear. It needs to be honest. It needs to be direct and it needs to be non-demeaning. I think those are the kind of four keys of communicating right now. And it's funny to do this podcast now because, you know, we are doing meetings with players and things like that right now. And that's how we communicate with the guys on our team. You know what I mean? Like, here's where you are. Here's where we're going. Here's what you need to do to improve. And it's not like, Hey, you're a piece of shit. Like that's not communication. You know what I mean? That's not helping anyone. You know what I mean? It's not helping us getting us to where we want to go for any, in any way, shape or form. Right. But if you keep it clear, you keep it honest, you keep it direct and you don't demean, you know, I've had told players many times, right? Like, Hey, look, this is the vision of our team and this is where you sit. And if this doesn't line up, there's no dishonor or, or consequence, just just shaking hands and saying, Hey, like appreciate the opportunity. I feel a different way. Let's just go in another direction. I mean, that's, that's fine. You know what I mean? That's that happens. And it's going to happen when you have a organization that's 150 people with players and coaches, you know? So if you keep it to those four, I think that, you'd have a tough time screwing up your, your message. Awesome. Uh, perfect ending there. Uh, one little anecdotal story on the Charles Pollock one, one to ten, give me 10 things you learned. Like, do you ever realize he skipped like four numbers in there? Like he'd go from like one, <laughs> two, three, six, 
seven and then 10. And he's like, because you get so frustrated and like just bored. <laughs> I always thought that was the best thing. I'm waiting to like see what numbers he's skipping because I would write it down like sequentially, like 10 things you learned. Uh, I always thought that was the best and he'd always do it too. It was awesome. Um, so uh, one, I want to say thank you for your time. Uh, that was awesome and really informative and really helpful for not only like people out there, but myself. And I'm really happy that we were sharing all that stuff and I know I'm, I'm just better now for it. So thank you for that. I uh, really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, thank you for everything, man. Yeah, it's my pleasure, man. It's always, it's always great to uh, sit down and talk. Hopefully we can do it again sometime soon.